this is a kind of solution that on a regional level contributes to eight of the 17 United Nations sustainability goals. And because we are increasing the area which can be lived on by humans and animals and biology, we are reducing the local temperatures, we are saving carbon dioxide, we are saving fresh water, we are reducing oil use, we are binding dust from kind of the sand drift, which can be a huge problem. Welcome Getting There fans, I'm your host Alejandro Garcia Maya. According to the United Nations, 135 million people could lose their homes because of desertification, the process by which fertile land becomes a desert. On today's show, we have Brage Johansson, co-founder of Desert Control, the company turning deserts into greenlands with their patented liquid nanoclay. In this episode, Brage and I go over how liquid nanoclay can play a key role against global climate change. And he answers a number of questions, such as, what is liquid nanoclay? How can liquid nanoclay completely stop desertification? And much more. Join us in our conversation. Let's do this. What does success mean to you? That is to have some impact on the future that I want to happen. I'm not a very kind of capitalistic guy, though I see that capitalism works when you get it working. (laughs) It's it's a very good way of implementing things, but really to make a change, to see that I have changed people's minds about what can happen in the future, that is really satisfying. So is there a lesson you hold dear from your parents or closest mentors that you like to share? Yes, when I was a kid, we had lots of expeditions, you know, expeditions in forests or in mountains. We we were a group of kids that kind of went around here and really explored, explored the world. I think that freedom of doing that has really inspired me today as a grown-up that, yes, it's, it's actually possible to explore things and not be afraid of what lies behind the next uh, turn in the road. Before learning about desert control, I want to highlight a couple of the problems that I believe desert control is trying to solve. I'm going to give a couple multiple choice questions here. All right. So what percentage of the earth's landmass constitutes desert? And we have A, 16%, B, 20%, C, 35%, D, 33%. What percentage of the Earth's landmass constitutes desert? And what do you believe is the answer? Yeah, I know the answer is, unfortunately for Earth, uh, 33% and uh, increasing. So 33% or one-third of the Earth's total landmass constitutes as desert. Yeah, um, desert. And, and uh, of course, you have a definition about deserts and drylands, but it's a huge part of uh, Earth. A bit later on, I wanted to ask about desertification and what that actual process means. But it, what you just mentioned in terms of desert and dryland, what's the difference? Yeah, okay, so actually, Antarctica is a dryland. It can also be a land, I mean, which, which is, have desert-like properties or qualities. 
So do you have many areas in the with tundra which also can be defined as dry land? Is there a definition for dry land that involves lack of ecosystems or it's just a new set of ecosystems that are just very different? I mean, uh, that's an important thing you're saying there because, of course, deserts also have their ecosystems. Mm-hmm. There are lots of plants and animals which we should take care of. So when we talk about fighting deserts, we are not talking about making it zero percent by far. I mean, uh, we couldn't do that if we wanted to, but the increasing of deserts, which is so destroys so much for both the earth and the life that we live. So let's go on to the next question here. What percentage of the world's immigrants are forced to migrate due to poor or inhabitable environment conditions? We have A, 5%, B, 12%, C, 13%, D, 15%. What percent of the world's immigrants are forced to migrate due to poor or uninhabitable environment conditions? Rage, what do you think? I think it is 15%. Of course, it's a number which is uh, difficult to measure exactly, but it is a huge part of immigrants that are forced, and that's also increasing. That's, That's a very large percentage, whether it's 14, 15, 16, the fact that it's in the teens is really impressive. Yeah, yes, it's uh, frightening, really. And, and when you think about it, uh, maybe there are not so much pictures of it now on the television, but some years ago when they had pictures from a big uh, disaster in Africa or other places, uh, it was often from places where there were total desertification and people have no water or cannot grow crops and cannot have cattle. And of course, they have no life to live there and uh, and have to move. Which actually, what you just said right there, let's see how many people this involves. So what is the total population of people across the world living in dry lands? We have A, 500 million, B, 1 billion, C, 1.5 billion, D, 2 billion. And again, the size varies, but we're just giving a certain Mm. range. What do you think? It is 2 billion or close to 2 billion that live in drylands, which is living on the edge, to put it like that, with a desert uh, or with extremely dry uh, conditions. Let's jump into desertification. Can you share what that is? Yeah. So it means that the soil of an area is uh, losing its fertility. As we describe a fertile soil, it it has uh, bacteria and fungi and moisture that make it possible to grow things. And uh, when this soil literally becomes sand and very, very dry, then it is defined as a desert or dry land. What causes Uh, that? Yes, low rainfall that shifts, the climate shifts, mm-hmm. and you get a, a warmer climate and with less rainfall. So extreme uh, on both ends. It's either extreme, extremely yeah. extreme hot weather. or extreme a lot more rain than yeah. normal that floods the yeah. fields. That is one factor, the main factor maybe. But the other factor is, of course, mismanagement by humans. And that is that we tear up trees and we destroy actually areas. That's a huge problem, for example, in Brazil, where you burn down the rainforest, 
then you can grow things there for maybe a couple of years, but then you have kind of lost the things that can keep this soil fertile, and then it turns into desert. So can you share a bit on what the company Desert Control is, or the organization Desert Control is, and what does it do? Yeah. So we have two inventors, Christian Olesen and Ole Morten Olesen, Norwegians, which traveled around the world and looked at uh, agriculture in desert areas. And they found that what you need to do with a desert area is to mix in clay to make it fertile. And today that is done mechanically. You try to get clay into sand and it's a very energy demanding process. It's a time consuming process. It's very difficult to get the perfect result. And they invented a mixer where you mix water and clay and you get uh, what uh, we call liquid nanoclay, which is actually possible to just pour on desert areas and you get a perfect mix of clay and sand instantly. It's magical being able to see the video and see you convert a desert into a green, lush environment. Before jumping into the process, what was being done beforehand? Who looked at deserts and said, you know what, we can convert this into very lush and fertile soil? Who's been doing this? And why hasn't it been done before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It surprised me too when I came into this. We've been doing agriculture for how many thousands of years? And and, uh, why haven't this kind of invention been thought of before? But I think this is a result of the last 100 years. You could say that the Nile did this. The Nile did this when it wasn't dammed. Then you had a kind of a perfect clay water mix being flooded a couple of times a year in the area. What actually makes soil fertile, yeah, aside from okay. water? Yeah, so uh, the perfect soil, starting with the sand, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, the, and the perfect soil is a little bit of clay, not much, but a little bit of clay. And you want the clay to keep the moisture in the sand, but you don't want too much clay either, because if it's lumps of clay, then the bacteria and, and fungi and everything that makes the plants grow doesn't thrive. So the perfect mix is actually sand wrapped in clay, but still with the air in the sand. This clay and this mixture, its purpose is that it creates a perfect environment for bacteria and fungi. How does that actually work? Yeah, yeah. so when you plant something in your garden today, then this connects with the fungi, which is already in your soil. So the fungi... Actually, if, I mean, philosophically, you can't say where the fungi ends and where the plant ends, or it's, it's kind of a mix. <laughs> yeah, where it begins, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That is a perfect symbiosis where the fungi helps to get the nutrients to the plant. So um, actually, when you look at the a picture of a garden, then you could say that there is more life in the soil than above soil. I mean, we see the flowers, we see the plants, the the leaves of a a tree. The the leaves of a tree is is just 1% of the life. The rest is trunk and what the root system... What lies below. Yeah, what lies below. So it's about to get that 
working. I saw something here, and you let me know if the numbers are correct. I saw that to cultivate desert into farmland, it normally takes 7 to 15 years. And then using desert control, you can convert sandy soil into fertile land in seven hours or so. Is that right? Yeah, of course, that's a symbolic measure. But, but you get after the treatment of a sandy area with liquid nanoclay, then it is instantly, it's, it's ready to being vegetated or what you call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is our process. While when you do it mechanically, it takes much more longer time. You need a much longer process to get this perfect mix of Because that's a huge difference. I mean, when yes, you're saying is. years, that is a tremendous difference. Mm. When you're talking about the mud that desert control creates, is there a difference in terms of implementation of that mud? Like one thing is creating it and creating mm. the solution and knowing that it's the right mm. formula. And then how do you go on and actually apply that to the land? Is there a difference to how you do it with how other processes do it? Yes. The liquid nodule clay is liquid. So you can actually irrigate it onto oh. the sand. You don't need to have kind of a tractor or a shovel or whatever to, to make it mechanically. You just irrigate it on. So you're uh, you spraying can, water. You're spraying, you're spraying water. water. Spraying that... water. We can actually connect to the irrigation system. If you have an irrigation system in place already, we can connect to that and we can spread the liquid nanoclay. So it's really nanoclay that we make in our mixing process. And it's also a process where we make a static charge to the clay particles. So when they are irrigated onto sand, they are wrapping themselves around the sand particles. And the next clay particles that come, they don't want to wrap around the new clay particles, so they go to the next sand particle and they wrap around there. So when we irrigate it on, if you made this with your food processor at home, you would uh, actually just get the clay soup on top of the sand. Our solution will migrate into the sand to the depth that we want to. If it's 20 centimeters, 40 centimeters, 60 centimeters of clay sand solution. And I saw that a big piece of it as well is that it stops water from evaporating. Of course. I mean, the saving of fresh water is, is uh, essential for the benefits of this solution. So, I mean, after you've treated this area with liquid nanoclay, then you have to be a good gardener or a good farmer. But then you can save from 40 to 70% of the water usage when you're growing the things that you want to grow. Are there any negative effects related to this process versus the other process? Like in, and by negative, I mean, does it change what type of vegetation or what type of, you know, food can be cultivated? Mm. Well, I like your question because very often when mankind have uh, found a silver bullet, it often has some negative consequences. I think that is what's quite unique about this desert control is it's a total natural product. We have no added chemicals. It is actually something that Mother Nature uh, have been doing. I mean, with the Nile and uh, mm -hmm. other flooding of areas, we have just perfected that. And um, of course, you could say, if you really succeeded in making a huge area green, I mean, huge desert, say that you turned it into a green earth, mm -hmm. then you would actually change the regional climate. 
but but then you can say it is is that bad or not i mean it's uh, for yeah, for the region the that's a definitely definitely positive <laughs> i mean you would lower the temperature with uh, maybe 15 or 20 degrees compared to a desert so with liquefied nanoclay, are there any restrictions in terms of scale? Once you are talking about much broader mm. land, humongous farms, I'm just thinking here in the U.S., if there was mm. huge land that was, you know, a desert, which there are, how big, what are the restrictions with this? The restriction would be uh, to get clay, of course, but that's, as we see it, there's so much clay available. So that's the minor a challenge. I mean, uh, we're really talking about huge, huge areas which can be covered or solved by this solution with the clay available that we have today. So uh, would the restriction be like the irrigation and how much of it is available or how yeah, would that okay. happen? Yeah. Okay. So you cannot just put liquid nanoclay there and see what happens. After you treated an area with liquid nanoclay, then of course you have to put the seeds there, which you want to grow. I mean, you have to be a farmer or uh, forester or whatever you call it <laughs> afterwards. Then you begin so, the process. The, yeah, then you begin the process. So liquid nanoclay is just helping you a lot, mm. helping you really much a lot to succeed in making an area green. But you still have to do the work afterwards, as you would do in a, a normal situation. Are there other consequences to this as well? Yes. In many countries where, where you want this to be applied, you are making fresh water from desalination of salt water. The desalination processes are very carbon intensive. You're spending oil and gas to make desalinated water. That's uh, taking it, the salt out of the water. Yeah, mm -hmm. taking the salt out of the water. And if you save 50%, to make a number, 50% of the fresh water in an area, then you actually save 50% of desalinated water. And that's a huge amount of carbon dioxide uh, that's not going on. Yes. I mean, we're talking about millions of tons. So that's one consequence of making an area greener. What's your goal? Is there an end goal, a certain metric you're trying to reach? Yes, uh, of course. We hope that we can uh, stop desertification. So that means that if we can treat 1% of the desertificated areas in the world, just one percent but that's a huge area that's a very big area but still then we would actually help maybe two billion people and we would actually help also the climate on, on earth uh, just by one percent of desertification and, and when you say you help two billion people in what way yeah so all the people living uh, close to a desert or dry land which have huge problems and which we uh, took in, uh, which we looked at in the quiz before, mm -hmm. Earlier. where many actually have to leave their country or leave where they live because uh, access there to is food. Uh, access to food and fresh water. So it is a huge project. It's a huge idealistic project that we really want to succeed. And that is really keeps me going. Okay. What's, is there a common misperception with what you are doing? Yeah, I think you touched upon it. Maybe, maybe you didn't mean that when you said it, but liquid nanoclay, even though we are speeding up the process and have lots of benefits, just applying liquid nanoclay is not making the earth green. Mm -hmm. It is just speeding up the process. So you really have to do the farming and gardening work afterwards.
uh, after applying liquid nanocrypt. What has been your biggest roadblock? What is a big obstacle that you're dealing with? Yeah, I think uh, this is a project that has been perceived, uh, and I, I perceived it like that too when I entered it, as too good to be true. It's too good to be true. It can't be that simple. It cannot be a technology that some Norwegians uh, have <laughs> kind of come up with, and, uh, and then <laughs> we, kind of, we don't have deserts even. <laughs> right. So here we, here we are uh, kind of introducing something to the world, and um, it cannot be that easy. But, but no, we have uh, been very systematic in getting scientific proof and the third-party uh, validation of, of what we're doing. And then the second roadblock of what we're doing is, is that we want to get this out in the world, everywhere in the world where you need it, but we have to do it commercially. I have a question related to the water. You mentioned about how you know, liquid nanoclay, the water that's used for liquid nanoclay has to be fresh water, correct? Mm-hmm. Are there partnerships that you're doing, you know, so that you get the fresh water to be able to create your clay and then be able to then provide that to the people, to the farmers? Mm, yeah. So what we say to the government where we are having a dialogue is that uh, you have lots of, lots of green areas in your city, gardens, agriculture, and that kind of stuff. We can help you save 50% of your fresh water, and then you don't need to build the next desalination plant because you now have much more fresh water available. So, so you emphasize that the liquid nanoclay, it does not require as much water to be able to create this fertile soil as the older methods. So therefore, going your route actually saves 50% or so in terms of water that would otherwise have been used to be able to create this fertile soil. Yeah, yes, it's as simple as that. Really, it's, it's kind of um, telling you as the owner of the land mm-hmm. that you can save 50% of the water. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? At this point, we covered a number of the mm-hmm. things that we want to cover, but is there anything else that you want to add, something we missed? I think I want to add that this is a kind of solution that on a regional level contributes to eight of the 17 United Nations sustainability goals. And because we are increasing the area which can be lived on by humans and animals and biology, we are reducing the local temperatures, we are saving carbon dioxide, we are saving fresh water, we are reducing oil use, we are binding dust from kind of the sand drift, which can be a huge problem. What is that? And, and, what is the um, dust from sand drift? Yes, so you get sandstorms, basically, and that can really pollute the air for a city and for people living there, and can be a huge health risk for for those living there. That's the big issue, actually. Some of um, the customers that have approached us have, have asked us, they say, we don't care about that much about planting things, but we really want uh, just to bind up the dust. And of course, we would suggest that you plant forests, plant uh, greens around the city to avoid dust storms. Well, I want to thank you so much, Brage, for your time and for sharing the story and what you're doing. And we are rooting for you.
Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciate it. Be sure to visit gettingtherepodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day. And as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba.